Welcome to Preceptive Practice, another CE Impact podcast. This podcast is unique in that it is specifically created just for preceptors, the committed professionals who volunteer their time to help students become the best practitioners they can be. I have to tell you that today's topic is really fun and maybe a little surprising. I'll be the first to admit that when we started talking about using social media in experiential education a few years back, I really thought it would be a passing fad. I mean, we're not really that far away from the days when pulling your phone out of your white coat pocket while on rotation was a complete no-no and potentially cause for feedback about your professionalism. Today, however, I'll be sharing a conversation I had recently with Tim Gothier. He's an antimicrobial stewardship and infectious disease pharmacist, but with a unique track record of using social media to support his educational efforts. Tim has quite a presence on social media, um, including Twitter, Instagram, and a number of other platforms, and he's used those platforms to positively impact learning for his followers. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Okay, hi Tim, welcome. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I know I really enjoyed reading a little bit about your background and learning about you through the mutual colleague that introduced us, but I thought we could start today by having you just share just a little bit about your background and what's brought you to where you are in your career so far. Hi, thank you, Kathy. Um, So my name is Timothy Gothier. I went to school at Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. Then I did two years of pharmacy residency at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami, Florida to specialize in infectious diseases. Um, After that, I worked in academia for about five years at Nova Southeastern University with a practice site at Jackson, studying uh, multi-drug resistant bacteria and some of the drugs that we use to treat them like colistin, daptomycin, um, linazolid, uh, and also antimicrobial stewardship, medical education, pharmacy pharmacy education. And then I also got into social media, um, kind of at the crossroads of medical and pharmacy education. From there, I took a job at the Miami VA for about five years, built their stewardship program, and then simultaneously, um, kind of on the side for fun as a hobby, maintained a social media presence, you know, as an individual. Then from there, I took a job recently with Baptist Health South Florida just a couple years ago, where I'm very excited to be part of an expanding team of infectious diseases pharmacists and something that's just really kind of been a wonderful experience down here in South Florida. Um, but in my, you know, again, in my spare time in the evenings and on the weekends, I still kind of have the passion uh, and, and hobby to do social media and infectious diseases. And really, it comes from a passion for training and education. Uh, I'm kind of the person that gets something wrong and like never forgets that they got it wrong. And, you know, I kind of see how people might remember things in the future. And then also, I thought that social media would be a really great way to reach people because they're already there, they're already scrolling. And if I could add a tidbit about clindamycin into their day as they're looking at Kim Kardashian and you know maybe some, some vertical video from a, a band that they like or something, that would be a cool way to just add to the infectious diseases knowledge that's out there. And so that's kind of how I got started and a little bit about my background. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, who doesn't want to learn a little bit about clindamycin while they're scrolling through, twi- through Twitter, right? Where did sort of that passion come from? I mean, can you tell, tell us a little bit more about how you sort of fell into using social media in that way? Yeah, absolutely. So I started using social media because of a, a video that I saw on um, PBS that was called Generation Like. 
And it was just about how technology was becoming integrated into people that were younger, younger generations. And I saw that working with people at the college level, we were going to continue to have waves of people come in. And, you know, I would get older, but they would essentially stay the same age. And so as they stay the same, you know, what would be different about their interaction with technology, their learning styles. And so that motivated me to kind of take interest in social media. And then working at Jackson Memorial, we saw microorganisms like Acinetobacter that were resistant to literally every single drug that we had on our panels that we tested against. And we'd be getting drug from other countries sometimes to treat these totally resistant pathogens. So I really believe that the threat of antibiotic resistance is a major global health problem. And I think a lot of experts agree with that. And also teaching is, is fun and it can be a great way to kind of even have positive feedback for the teacher. And then combining that with social media, again, in that space where the learner is already existing and, and kind of spending time is a win-win-win opportunity. Yeah, I'm sure that you and your work with students, they have appreciated sort of that unique approach to experiential learning, not something they see necessarily with every preceptor, that's for sure. And also because, you know, social media is, is pretty open-ended and we can connect across the globe. I've been able to see what other people are doing, teaching their APPE students, for example, infectious diseases through social media. There's a fun hashtag OTILT for one thing I learned today um, that, that some of the folks like to use. Uh, and it's, you can identify how their APPE students are learning something about infectious diseases, tagging it on Twitter. So there's a lot of different opportunities to learn um, about pharmacy, about medicine, about the patient experience through social media. It's just a vast space. It's ever-changing. It's evolving. And so it's also kind of like a big experiment, which makes it fun and exciting at the same time. Mm -hmm. Can you draw on some of your experiences and maybe share you know, one or two of the most effective learning activities you've been engaged in or that you've driven through social media? I kind of bring it kind of bring a, sort of that practical viewpoint for preceptors? Yeah, I think um, there can be many strategies that can be effective, and it depends a bit on the learner and their learning style and their level of interest. In my experience, pharmacy professionals tend to be more passive users than active users. So if you're requiring someone to, for example, tweet or retweet or post, that may be a little bit less successful than going to a social media platform, searching for a hashtag like cystic fibrosis, and then seeing what cystic fibrosis patients are posting on Instagram and kind of getting a day in the life of, of some of those patient experiences. So you got to consider the, the student before you start. And I would say that basic engagement is something I would put higher up on my list rather than more advanced engagement. For example, doing a tutorial or a Twitter thread on a specific topic is usually when someone will take a topic like, can you use daptomycin plus ceftaroline for MRSA bacteremia, which is kind of like a in-depth topic, and there's a lot of literature on it, you could have multiple tweets in a row that kind of go into the literature, analyze, you know, what is the data, what supports it, what are nuances to that, you know, that's a bit too high level for our APPE students probably, but asking them to do a single tweet about daptomycin plus ceftaroline with a link to an article that is clinically relevant is a lower level ask um, that they may be willing to do. So I think it's, you know, look at your learner, um, what are they willing to do? And then how difficult is it to kind of learn how to use the platform? And Twitter, for example, Instagram, uh, another example is really user-friendly. Uh, some of the other platforms may be a little bit more difficult to use, like TikTok, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How have students responded in general to those kinds of assignments, I guess I'll call them? I know that I had to do some posting on Twitter once in a graduate class that I was in, and because I was not 
familiar or very active. I remember being really, really nervous about it. I would assume that students today maybe aren't so much, but maybe you could share a little bit about some of the barriers or challenges that you've experienced and maybe how you've overcome that and had students embrace, embrace that approach. Yeah, well, you know how students are, the ones that respond to the surveys either are strongly for something or strongly against something, right? <laughs> so true, yep. <laughs> and one of my mentors told me to make sure to have a glass of wine before reading any uh, evaluations that the students give you at the end of the quarter. <laughs> That's excellent that advice. advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of strategies, I did run a study with a professor out of Palm Beach Atlantic University. That was a lot of fun, Dr. Elias Shaheen. And what we did was I posted content across uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook that was related to the content that they were learning uh, in their P3 classes and therapeutics about antibiotics or antimicrobials. So for example, they would be learning about antifungals and I would post a picture of amphotericin B and something about infusion mediated reactions or maybe dosing or spectrum of activity. And I would cross post that onto Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And so we learned a lot from the feedback from the students in that capacity. And some students, they just didn't want to have anything to do with it. They said, I don't want to be on social media. I don't want to even be there as a lurker. I don't care if anyone can see me or not. That's just not something I'm interested in. Um, other students were, were very interested. They were excited about it. They looked forward to the posts. They would direct message me. They would um, you know, interact and engage. And so you really saw the spectrum. And, and that's where I think at the outset, we just have to be aware that, you know, social media is not a completely safe place. You know, there are dangers and there are risks, especially for professionals, because there are pitfalls that we need to be mindful of. But at the same time, it is a really awesome tool for trying to engage learners um, for the purpose of advancing their knowledge. Um, so talking to the students is really important, getting their feedback. That not only helps to tailor how is my intervention going, but also what could I do better in the future? Because they're users usually of social media. So they'll have ideas about how can it be done in a way that maybe is more entertaining, is more user-friendly, is more uh, in line with the, their day-to-day, -day, you know, posting at a certain time, um, posting with certain links or, um, you know, leveraging the, the social media platform to its full capacity, uh, so to speak. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. yeah. It's very complicated, to be honest. Just there's so many different pieces to the puzzle. Yeah, well, certainly one size doesn't fit all, but it's also sounds like a really dynamic process that, you know, ebbs and flows and, and sort of evolves as you, as you go along. So, you know, there's certainly some fun aspects to, to that as well. Yeah, and, and I think some people don't even necessarily identify uh, social media as social media, like uh, WhatsApp, for example, people tend to think of as like chat groups, but mm -hmm. it is actually considered a social media platform. And now I'm in WhatsApp chats with infectious diseases pharmacists in Florida, infectious diseases pharmacists that are on a social media committee for the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists. I know there are residents that are doing uh, WhatsApp chats. And so you can even use WhatsApp to, to leverage learning and, you know, for a P4 student or a P3 student on IPPEs and that type of thing. There's a lot of opportunity out there. It's just a matter of getting creative and having fun with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, as I mentioned, you know, I am, I guess I'm what I call a Twitter observer. I'm not, I have an account and I use it to kind of see what's going on, especially when there's a lot of things happening in the news, but I'm not, I'm not a poster. So I was not familiar with what is called a Twitter chat. So I thought maybe you could share a little bit about that and how, how that works in experiential education. Yeah, Twitter chats are really cool. They're something that I've been engaging in for probably about five years. The first Twitter chat I ever started uh, or ever was in, participated in was related to Get Smart Week, 
which is a week in November where we, we try to promote safe and rational antimicrobial drug use. Um, but essentially the way a Twitter chat works is someone tweets from a central account and that might be you know, ASHP's account or it might be you know, another organization's account or an individual's account. The participants can then search for the hashtag that's being used. So for example, I co-host a chat that's approximately monthly with a, can, a Canadian pharmacist named Brad Langford. And ours is called ASP chat, hashtag ASP chat for antimicrobial stewardship program chat. And so every time we post a, a question and a tweet, about every 10 minutes, people can chime in and respond to it. And when they use that hashtag ASP chat in their response, uh, other people can then find what they've said and they can comment on the other comments. They can comment on the original tweet. And then as we put out more questions throughout the one hour period, uh, they can you know, see what we're putting out and engage if they decide to engage or not engage if they don't want to engage. So the participants can retweet, they can quote tweet, they can favorite things or comment things all while using that central hashtag. Um, and you can really share anything through that process. You can share, this is an experience I had, this is something that worked, or we tried this and it didn't work so well, or hey, we published on this topic and have you seen our article? And so it's kind of a great way to get ideas about what you could potentially do in your practice. And combining ideas is, is usually a way to kind of find new fun uh, ways to do things. And then also people are able to share fun stuff as well. So people will, will put memes and gifts. And so it's not just like business as usual, but also like have fun with it. I like it because I get to reflect a lot and think about, oh yeah, how did it, if we have a, for example, an ASP chat about outpatient parenteral antimicrobial therapy or OPAT, I might start thinking about, you know, that patient that got amphotericin B, like how could we have treated them better? Like what kind of communication would have helped? Are there things that we could have built into the system from a programmatic perspective that other people have done that we could have done? And then if you have a learner observe an ASP chat or engage in an ASP chat, they could get to view what is the perspective of those professionals who are working in that space, but they can also ask questions, they can share their comments, and it's an opportunity for them to kind of witness and also engage if they feel uh, inclined. There's another chat that I want to mention called IDJ Club, which I think is really cool. Um, it's hosted by some infectious diseases professionals, and they talk about one of the newest infectious diseases uh, articles that comes out every month. So they just had one, for example, on an oral carbapenem, which is a very hot topic. And I like it because they're breaking down, you know, what is the methods, what is the results, what is the discussion, the conclusion, is it relevant to clinical practice, right? And these are like high level infectious diseases experts and other people can weigh in too. But at the same time, a learner can attend and they can see, well, this is the point that they're focusing on. And, and this is why they're saying it's important. So it's, it's a really nice opportunity for the learner to see that inside, you know, thinking and the clockworks in the brain of that, that uh, expert level individual. And Twitter being anyone can use it from across the world at any time, we're able to get access to some very, very high level uh, professionals, which you know are, are a lot of fun for me to see their insights. Yeah, there's so many things there that kind of struck me as you were talking. And you know, one is there right at the end, you know, one of our jobs as preceptors really is to, you know, think out loud, right? Share our thinking. How did we get from A to B and bring the student along in that journey? And it sounds like, you know, you're using social media you know, to do some of that or to, to allow student, students to be on that journey with not just their preceptor, but with, with others, um, who, you know, who are engaged in the conversation. I also have to, I also have to call out 
you know, your comments about reflection, because I have to say, I would never put Twitter and reflection in the same sentence, probably. So I think that's a that's a really interesting concept. And it also makes me feel like, you know, sneaking carrots into, you know, whatever the casserole is that night to get your kid to eat vegetables. Like this is a really nice little way to package up that dreaded reflection word for students in a way that's kind of fun and engaging. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, when I reflect upon using social media now, since it's been, you know, such a long time that I've been engaging in it and thinking about it, and I, I really just enjoy it, to be honest with you, I now relate how you can take a piece of Bloom's taxonomy of remembering, understanding, apply, analyze, evaluate, or create, you can think about the social media platform um, that is of interest, and then you can design uh interventions or you can design interactions which support that level of learning within blooms and so i think that might be a starting point for someone who's trying to say well can i use social media for helping my students or my residents learn what level of learning are you looking for what level of engagement would be needed in order to support that learning and that might be another way to start mm -hmm. tim would you say that there are some platforms that are better suited for experiential learning than others, you know, in your experience, or is it just really dependent on what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, I think when you have a learner, if you can inspire them, that's going to help them to try harder. And, you know, the more you put into something, the more you get out of something. So if, if you talk to your learner and you don't really get the feeling that, you know, Twitter is going to be something of interest to them, but TikTok might be something of great interest to them. I would say just explore that space and can you do a parallel journey or parallel assignment in which they're able to use that platform in a way um, that they can you know, see how the patients are doing or see what pharmacists are saying or try to come up with something innovative um, on that platform. So for example, I'm working on a project with a group of individuals where we're looking at a, a hashtag, uh, a healthcare related hashtag on, on TikTok where we're evaluating you know, what is the educational content that's coming out of TikTok related to this hashtag you know, that's an easy thing that you could do from a preceptor's perspective. And then, you know, the student or the learner may not feel like they're doing work. They're just like scrolling through TikTok like they usually do, but they're actually <laughs> seeing like what these people are talking about it. You know, is this good advice in, um, you know, are they referencing things? Is this a full picture that is able to be presented on a social media platform? And those are all, you know, things that the, the student could then evaluate. And then you could have a discussion with that student to see if they're able to identify all of the things that you would hope they would, or are there holes that could be filled? Um, so then you can kind of layer in, you know, that, that modeling and coaching and, and all those, you know, layers that a preceptor needs to be looking for. Right, right. Well, you know, with social media, obviously there's controversy around, you know, the risks and benefits and, you know, values and the pitfalls and all of that. So maybe share with us a little bit about some of the pitfalls? I mean, have you had any personal experiences where you've, you know, had issues that had to be mitigated or risks that maybe you didn't, you didn't foresee, you know, heading into a project? Yeah, I think my intention with uh, social media has been really around building kind of like a brand that I get to, to build out in different directions, depending upon, you know, what I feel like doing. So it isn't around me as an individual. And that's kind of helped people from, you know, attacking me directly. Um, also, I tend to stay away from polarizing topics because I just don't want to engage with that. And there can be uh, trolls that that lurk just, you know, to engage and, and you know, cause mm -hmm. strife in that area. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm very mindful about what I say, you know, how I say it. I, I don't give medical advice on social media. And I specifically say that if someone, you know, direct messages me asking for medical advice or posts us something saying, you know, what would you treat this patient with? You know, I'm not going to give a recommendation. I don't feel comfortable with that. So 
I have a lot of rules that I've created over time. You know, there's simple things like if you wouldn't say it to your grandma, you probably shouldn't post it on social media. And then, you know, what if they took this tweet and they published it in the Miami Herald and, you know, my face is next to it. Was that something that I would be embarrassed about, you know? And so those are things that I think about a lot. Also, if I put, if I put a tweet together and then I have a, a second thought about it, I usually won't post it because if my, my gut's telling me not to do it, I just won't go there. Um, I definitely don't feel like everyone should use social media. I do think social media is very dangerous. I think it, well, it's clearly addictive, right? You have the, mm-hmm. the instant gratification, endorphin uh, type effect that, that we see with it. And I definitely worry about it for, for children, including my own children. Um, so I think you have to proceed with caution. You need to be intentional. You need to reevaluate why you got involved with it to begin with. Are you spending too much time on it? Are you really using it for the intent that you plan to use it for? And that you're not just like jumping into an echo chamber and then spinning around in circles. So it's it's something that we need to be mindful about um, when we're using it. And professionalism is important. Um, being uplifting um, and not putting down others or other professions, I think that's important. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So mm-hmm. if I'm putting someone up, you know, it makes me look good. It makes them look good, and we all win. And that's really the way to approach social media as a healthcare professional, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Really, as anybody, I mean, I think that's that's all. A lot of that's common sense, but um, you know, it, it's certainly applicable just in our everyday use of social media too. Um, well, as we kind of wrap things up today, let's say I'm a preceptor and I want to just sort of dip my toe in the water using social media with some students or residents or whoever it is that I'm mentoring or or, or teaching. What are some good ways to get started? What would you recommend? Yeah, first pick uh, what is your goal? You know, what is your intent? And that everything that you choose from there should circle around that intent, almost like your primary outcome when you're doing a study. Um, From there, you can decide what platform is the right platform for you. And the platforms have changed a lot over time. So right now, Twitter uh, for infectious diseases publications on COVID is a goldmine. You know, there's one guy, his hashtags AB Steward. And without him, I don't know how I would have followed all of the updates with COVID. And, you know, that's an opportunity to explore emerging literature in the area of infectious diseases for me, but, you know, critical care, emergency medicine, all those folks are on there. So I think that's very low hanging fruit. I also think some of the existing Twitter chats that are out there are also low hanging fruit, whether it's IDJ club or ASP chat, but ASHP and other major organizations also have uh, Twitter chats that may be of interest to the learner or the, and or the preceptor. Um, so I think those are two of the lowest hanging fruit areas. And one like area that's just not explored that much again is the looking at a patient experience through social media. So those hashtags of like hashtag Colliston, hashtag Toby Nebs, you know, those types mm-hmm. of things where we can see what is the patient experience are really raw pictures into the life of that individual. And it's just a wonderful way to learn and then have empathy and we can have better ability and capacity to treat our patients as they go through the, you know, the challenges of having whatever disease state they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all great advice. It really feels like this is a professional development journey tool for you, and you're bringing your learners along with you, you know, on that journey, which probably keeps it pretty true, you know, and safe and focused by doing it that way. Absolutely. I de- definitely, for my own professional benefit, I think social media is huge. I learn a tremendous amount. Um, you know, one of the things, because I produce content. Um, it's a different experience from someone producing content versus receiving content. And if I put something out, I already know that I'm going to get comments if I say something slightly wrong. So if I say, like, for example, you know, you can't use penicillin for MSSA, 
somebody will say, well, you know, in this country, penicillin susceptible Staph aureus is actually pretty common. Or if I say something about, you know, amoxicillin clavulinic acid is oral only, well, in this country, maybe it's IV. So there's all these like little things that I never would have learned, but people call it out on social media. So there's actually even like a level of peer review that is on mm -hmm. social media. And we've seen that a lot with COVID. Yeah, I bet that's true. Okay. I have to ask you, are you just a little bit nervous every time you push the post button <laughs> on what you're going to get back? I'm not generally speaking, cause I have so many rules that I abide by. And, mm -hmm. you know, I really try to put it out from a place of like passion um, where it's readily obvious that this piece of information is, is meant to be entertaining. You know, it's meant to be uplifting. It's meant to be educational. It's coming from, you know, an expert person um, who, so it's a credible source. I provide references. I provide links or identification of where the information comes from. So I try to really layer that in and that's kind of safeguarding, you know, my feeling of, of is this an okay thing to do? Um, and I'm very, again, very paranoid, maybe is the right word. <laughs> I'm, I'm cautious. Cautious. I'm cautious. Yeah. yeah. Probably a good practice. Okay. Well, this was super interesting. I did not know exactly, you know, I, I really couldn't envision all the ways in which you might be using this. And so it just, it just really is, um, it caught my interest when, when I heard about you and all the things that you're doing. And I'm really grateful that you were willing to take time to talk with us. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. And I, 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 would, I would encourage listeners to, to go and see, you know, who else is in that space uh, in social media and, and talk to your friends and see if they follow someone. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for pharmacists to get engaged and have a voice and, and be part of the conversation and promote, promote uh, you know, education and learning uh, through social media. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it. So many ways in which social media can be used to support learning while making it fun and engaging. If you'd like more information or ideas on this same topic, check out the course we'll be adding to our preceptor catalog later this month called Number Needed to Tweet. You can also find out how to connect to Tim on various platforms by checking out the show notes. I'm sure that he would love to connect with you. As a reminder, our preceptor catalog has a slew of other courses and topics designed specifically for preceptors. The entire catalog is accredited for CE and it's free if you precept for a member school. If you're not sure if your school or program is a member, contact your experiential office for information and instructions on how to gain access to all of this great material. And then lastly, I'd like to give a shout out to the schools and colleges of pharmacy that comprise the Northwest Pharmacy Experiential Consortium, who have helped conceive the concept for this podcast and then have assisted us in these initial episodes and the launch. Collaboration is one of CEMPAC's core values and we are grateful for their partnership. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next month on Precept to Practice.